Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I got them in a shade. said the madman is a dreamer awake and i could think of no better than freud and his all too true quotations to introduce an interview with someone who may be our most provocative guest yet although he may not fit the bill for our usual guests he is sure to be a favorite for some the great yoshi obayashi comedian podcaster former pornographer traveler medical research patient 
an all-around fascinating character joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Yoshi Obayashi. As I'm walking around World Economic Forum, I could tell right away something really interesting, which is these people use these keywords every year, like sustainability. It's like a new idea for that year. I'm telling people that you don't have to own anything. Isn't it nice when people that own everything with money telling poor people, middle class, you don't have to own anything. It's just like when beautiful people say you don't have to be beautiful. If you really want to know how these people are going to act, the billionaires, the academic and policymakers during World Economic Forum, don't listen to what they're saying. Talk to all the six workers who are servicing that way. Then you have a pretty good idea what the fuck is going to go on. Imagine a guy from Goldman Sachs that didn't get good bonus. I'm sure he's pretty fucking pissed off. And when they go to World Economic Forum, I'm sure they're going to take it out on those six workers. So when I was walking around, in the doubles in January or going to those fancy hotels, I knew right away, like, these are high-end escorts. Don't tell me you're a niece of CEOs or you're an executive assistant. Give me a fucking break. I'm not a fucking amateur. I know when I see a sex worker. Now I am. Okay. I was thinking about Connecticut last Saturday. A week ago, I saw Robert Kennedy speak at the Freedom Fest. And uh, he is, I believe he is, I don't know how is he related. His cousin to Michael Skakel. Do you recognize that name? I think so. Tell me about who that is. I'm giving you rough history, but Michael Skakel murdered, what is it, Martha Moxley, if I remember right, in Greenwich, Connecticut. This is like mid-70s, and it's uh, such a weird thing to say. I met a comedian named Earl Skakel in Los Angeles, who <laughs> Sam knows. When I met him about 19, 20 years ago, when he told me his name is Skakel, I was like, Skakel? Are you related to Michael Skakel? And his face turned white. Are they cousins? And I believe Earl's aunt Ethel is married to Bobby Kennedy. I think that's the connection. So Skakel families are connected to Kennedy family. Wow. And the only reason I know that is because Mark Furman, who was a detective for O.J. Simpson case, wrote a book called, I think it's called Death in Greenwich. I think something like that. It's been a while since I read it, but it kind of shamed the police in Greenwich, I believe. They brought the case back and arrested him. And I think he went to jail for a little bit until he was released under some kind of... I can't remember circumstance or evidence, but yeah, there was a one moment he was arrested for this case in mid seventies. And Bobby Kennedy is a big defender of his cousin. I don't know how the family tree works, but they're related for sure. Despite what Mark Furman said about black people, it's a terrible thing that he said, but I do think he's an excellent detective. And that book really brought the case back. But that's, this is probably like late nineties, early two thousand, and I think. Michael Skakel was released. I'm just making rough estimate, like 10 years ago or something like that. Yeah. So, wow. yeah, I was talking to my friend Dave Johnson about Connecticut. So, I don't know. I just assume you were living in L.A. By, by the way, you're a nice place. I love that setup you got there. 
Thank you. Yeah, all my books are with me here. It's appropriate considering the podcast and all the people we interview. But uh, yeah, Yoshi, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. I was teasing you before when I said Sam won't let me go to the studio. Obviously, I I couldn't make it there. But uh, (laughs) but yeah, it's Sam will be in Connecticut this August for a show. Okay. But yeah, I linked up with him a couple years ago when he came out and did a show in New York. And because of my interest in conspiracy and all these different fields, yeah. we ended up forming a sort of alliance. And now I'm his booker, Ozzy. So I find yeah. strange and weird people for him to interview, very interesting and informative people for him to interview. And it's a fun job. But I love listening to podcasts. And like I said, when I listened to you, I think it was Bobby Kelly's podcast that I heard you. On, and that made me oh, go okay. back and listen to some of your interviews with Tom and Christina on your mom's house, sure. another podcast you've been on. But you seem to be a sort of repository for this information. You just broke down the Martha Moxley case for me there, but I heard you you did some. Did I have her name right? I mean, it's, my my problem is getting when you get older, you have a well. At least I don't. My memory's kind of fading. I'll be honest with you. I have when you have a good memory. For example, my, my dad passed away about 20 years ago next month. And it's sad to say, I'm losing what my dad sounds like. And even when I talk about these like murder cases like that, I, I don't have a crystal clear memory of them unless I did a little bit of a researching again. And so I have a almost like that when you see footage of Big Food, it, it looked like a man, but it's kind of fuzzy. Yeah. I hate to say it, but my memories are getting a little fuzzy. So on this, I do specific research and specific preparation for each podcast. I just want to give people caution that I hope I'm remembering things right. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I won't bug you for specific details. I'm more interested in how you get to this position, Yoshi, because I remember first hearing about you. I don't know. Red Band might have been talking about you. Yeah. Or Sam might have mentioned you. And you were the porn guy. You were the dude sure. who was hooking everybody up with porn. And I think you're sort of a, like a multifaceted character in that way. You've had many dimensions to your life. So, I mean, for people who might not have heard of you before, how would you describe yourself? Obviously, you're a comedian. Do you think of yourself as like a gumshoe, kind of researching these sort of out there crimes? And what got you interested in that stuff in the first place? It's more out of curiosity, but I'm doing shows next month, Edinburgh, Fringe Fest. Yeah. And I think... I've been giving this example, but you know Herman Melville who wrote Moby Dick? And somebody mentioned to him after he wrote the book like, that it's amazing that he was able to put all sorts of religious references throughout the book. And he didn't realize he did that himself. Like sometimes you do these things, art or whatnot, even stand-up or whatnot, that you forget there was like a reason behind it. You're not even aware of yourself. And I think... I mentioned this to ad nauseum, but we found, my family found my dad's body 20 years ago in, I think, first week, maybe 10th day of August, 20 years ago. And we don't know if it was a simple suicide or murder. And I was very upset with certain groups of people, my stepmother's family. And I needed to spend a month of August focusing something instead of something negative. But as far as my interest... I think I got this kind of gallows sense of fascination because my dad used to do that. From a young age, my dad would take me places in Japan, 
even his neighborhood growing up where there was a fire, a bunch of people got killed, someone got murdered or sexually assaulted. And it's such a weird thing to take a kid to. But even when we visited the United States for the first time in 1979, we were visiting because my grandmother was dying from cancer in a Swedish hospital in Seattle. My family lived in Tacoma, Washington. And Tacoma is pretty famous for, famously, where Ted Bundy lived as a kid. And Ted Bundy's mother lived and his uncle so my dad basically said, he literally said, we're going to Ted Bundy's son, which is let's go to Ted Bundy's son's, Mr. Ted Bundy's home. I didn't know who he was. And so I think doing that over the years, and I, I don't know, I didn't even realize this. it was strange when I had to go to police station in Japan to see autopsy and pictures of my final moments of my dad. Really, it was a circular kind of thing where, you know, he used to show me books about us just horrible shit happened in war and conflicts and autopsy pictures of people getting murdered. And this month, this coming Wednesday on Netflix, there's a documentary about Lucy Blackman, who is an English woman sexually assaulted and murdered in Japan early 2000 by this Japanese-Korean national. I'm Japanese-Korean too. And my dad was talking about that case as well. So it literally went full circle when he was taking me to those places and not trained to be anything, but be fascinated with that. Yeah. I think we all have a need for distraction. Some people listen to music. Some people take drugs. Some people are into fantasy. And I think my dad had a very difficult life. And I think this is one of his ways for just distracting him away from boring life or, or having a miserable life, I think. So I think, Weirdly, I've been doing this kind of stuff, whether it's a serial killers or such simple murders, conflicts. I've been to places like Chernobyl, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and Three Mile Island disaster in like late 70s and things like that. I don't know why I was doing it, but I just had an interesting, I can't just can't relax when I go to, most people go like going to vacations like Italy or Hawaii, but I really can't relax in place. I have to go where there's been a, a disaster or something horrible happened. That's why I check. Every time I'm doing a show in some city that I've never done comedy, I got to find something to do during the day. So I usually just Google like Memphis serial killers. And if I can't find anything, I put Memphis Vanity Fair magazine because if somebody famous lived there and there was articles about them, Memphis terrorism and things like that, so on and so forth. Right. So when you do that for like over 40 years, I guess you have a better collection of these things. Whether there's, sometimes I make a connection with all them, but it's just a out of a hobby. I don't have any sort of credential to back up. It's just a simply I do it for out of a dark imagination, I guess. Yeah, well, and you certainly have a sort of the ability to go out and travel and do these sort of things. I heard that sure. you make some money doing these medical experiments, right? And this is sort of like medical testing, right? And yeah, it's kind of a fascinating. You brought up the fact that you're Japanese Korean. There's a word for that, right? Is it Satoshi? I didn't remember it correctly. Oh, it's called Zainichi. Zainichi, yes. Yeah. So a Zainichi person, I imagine it's fairly alienating. You're not quite Korean, not quite Japanese. So, I mean, 
wonder why true crime podcasts are so popular. I think more than ever people feel that same way and it draws them to that type of stuff. I don't think it's strange at all, really. It's a sort of a human instinct. Yeah. And I think people watch for different reasons, right? Like women, I think watch it for, I gotta be a character. Some people get upset, but I think two reasons. One, I think they want to know if they're in the same situation, how would I get out of that situation? If they're encountering a serial killer, but when I used to work at Taboo Video Store in downtown Seattle, I was a little worried that certain customers will ask for certain specific kind of porn. And maybe this is giving me discomfort. Like I, I was wondering, are they going to ask me movies with underage kids? I don't think if that really happened, but I was wondering, like, are they ever going to ask me for rape tapes, sexually assaulted? And it did happen, but it was very surprising when this thing happened. It, it was always women who asked for them. Wow. And my friend, Ogi Ogas and Sai Gadam, they wrote a book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts, I think 2010 or 2011. How, if some women do have fantasy of rape, how do they expose those fantasy? Now, you can, they can't really go public and say that because it's dangerous. They might get raped. So... How do they explore and experience rape fantasy? They do it by reading, watching, and thinking about vampires. And I kind of instinctively kind of knew about this, but my friends are social scientists. They have PhD and uh, Nogi is a professor at Harvard. And if you look at the language when you read like vampire novels, if you take the word vampire out, vampires out, the behavior, like they're flying into women's bedroom, rip their clothes off, ravage them over and over. If you take the vampire, it's a behavior of somebody who is a rapist. But I think if you look at one of those pulp books, whether they're a sea monster or werewolf, vampires, they're literally, or King Kong, they're just grabbing these women away. I think it's because some women are into rough sex and borderline rape. I think recently there was some Hollywood actress used to be an OC she literally say, I like getting manhandled, and she got trouble for that. I think there's a difference wanting a consent for aggressive sex, somebody who has a fantasy of rape. It's okay to have those things. It's okay to consent. But it, get, it makes people un- uncomfortable because I think fantasy is complicated things. The reason why serial killers continues to kill people because the fact... What they actually ended up doing, which is could be sexual assault and murder, is never comparable to their fantasy. Their fantasy is so vivid, and it's never ending. They have to continue trying to murder and sexually assault because they want to reach that high, but they can't. Their vivid fantasy is so much more powerful. Why do some terrorists want to go to war and terrorize people? Because they have a fantasy of creating caliphate. Once they kill all the infidels, they're going to create a utopian Islamic society. And I think somebody like Ted Kaczynski, I have a really weird connection with him. For him, having a horrible childhood, and I think this is some Sam Cover, MK Ultra, being tortured and having a tor- terrible childhood. And I think this is my theory with somebody like Ted Kaczynski and Jeffrey Epstein, skipping grades. This is a kind of weird things in Japan because I think Japanese people consider skipping grades kind of child abuse. Hmm. For example, take Kaczynski, you skip like four or five grades. So you're 12 or 13 years old in high school, right? What normal young lady would talk to 12 year old boy 
So he's never learned to make connection with women. Right. And I think he was a lonely man. It got to the point where he couldn't relate to women. One point, Ted Kaczynski even thought about becoming a woman. Because if you can't be with a woman, might as well try to be a woman. And that didn't work out. So I believe when he started bombing people, that was his form of orgasm. And somebody like Bernie Madoff, maybe I'm seeing too much into it, but I think financially fucking people over is a form of orgasm, I think. Mm. And I think John Ronson in his book, Psychopath Test, it's interesting when he was talking about many of the CEOs, they're sociopath or psychopathic, but I think to them, why be like Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein when you literally rape one person at a time, when you could fire 10,000 people and fuck them over? That's like raping 10,000 people. And I think my feeling is because sex is such a difficult conversation, sometimes we forget maybe people are doing terrible things in the world because something happened to them in childhood. They're rectifying by doing something awful sexually. And I think we forget that maybe people are more motivated by sex. And and because we're having a hard time talking about sex, that maybe we are prevented from doing good things in the world or prevent these things from happening. But to me, sex is the second most taboo subject matter. And number one taboo subject matter is talking about money. And that's why I think somebody like Jeffrey Epstein was incredibly powerful because he was very comfortable in the realm of sexuality and money. So, and I don't have any solution. The, The reason I love talking about this subject matter, I hope somebody, someone like you and Sam, and maybe even somebody younger, maybe hear this, and maybe they're a prodigy. Maybe they could go into certain discipline where they could make the world better. Because sometimes people get mad, like, you must be a pervert. What kind of person to talk about sex and sexual assault? And somebody like Jeffrey Epstein, you, you must be a fan of those behavior. And then it's a really weird thing to say because when somebody study, some scientists study disease, they're trying to find cure for it. If somebody's studying a war, they want to learn through history to prevent a war. I think I like to study these things, not because I like what they do. I, I don't like their behaviors are terrible, but I think thinking and talking about them, maybe we could learn from them and hopefully we could prevent them. I think that's just my thinking behind it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I felt you insinuating that maybe the fact that sex and money are taboo, this plays into this con- control structure that this paradigm that we're living in or under, I think that's something we talk about a lot on these types of shows. I don't know if you necessarily identify yourself as a conspiracy theorist, but that's something that I think a lot of people have thought about. But I wonder if it can go too far, because we've seen maybe examples of places where people are sexually repressed and, and that has some detrimental effects on the culture. But we can also see maybe the inverse of that, which is where perversion just goes totally out of bounds. And I mean, do you think there is a limit to that? Or do you think people being comfortable with their sexuality and displaying that has no downside? 
Can I make a comment with something you say? I'm not really familiar with conspiracies because mm-hmm. I think Sam's even talked to me about it before. I'm not a, against it at all. I just don't know enough. And I don't want to be dismissive mm-hmm. because I think ultimately I met enough of them. Like these are like really decent people and they see injustice in the world. And I think I just have to say like a sheer number of conspiracies. I'm sure some of them might not be true, but I think the people that met, I think they, they're good hearted. They see something horrible happening and this is a way for them to see, they see the world this way. So I don't want to be dismissive because I've been, I would thinking like, it's like when you go to prison, sometimes there are innocent people and there's enough conspiracy, but some of them have to be true and they have been proven to be true. As far as your question, I don't know how, I don't know how to answer that question. That's fine. <laughs> Maybe you could repeat it again. Well, it seems like sex being taboo has some detrimental effects in some places in the world. I wonder if we could explore that. Why do you think that is? I mean, do you think it's simply that people have this energy that gets bottled up and it needs to be released at some point? Or do you think there is something deeper? Because there's a whole widening gap of people who on the internet who are identifying themselves as sort of celibate now and involuntarily, right? So this is something that's reached a level to where it can be named as a phenomena. I I don't know. I don't think there's a conspiracy, but I'm I'm working on this show called Adult Content, and it's like my 25-plus years in adult business. But one of the things that I've been asked many times over the years, why are the Japanese born so weird? And... It's interesting for two reasons. One, whatever fetish we're into, we think we're normal. And the fetish that others are doing, we have a tendency to call those people weird. So this is a kind of common thing. I'm working at porn shop, production company, and consulting on it. So if people are not into the kind of things that Japanese people make porn, that's fine. And people have a right to have that feeling. Now, why is that some stuff in Japan weird? I have a really weird interpretation so last month i think it was like july 8th or 9th last month it's the 170 year anniversary of arrival of black ships those are military ships sent by united states government by president fillmore commanded by commodore perry his objective it is to open japan to the foreign countries so after Tokugawa yes it took over Japan like early 1600 1610 or something like that foreigners were not allowed to visit Japan no more because I think the Japanese government thought foreign ideas and foreigners were dangerous in fact the Catholic and the local Japanese Catholic revolted against Japanese government there was a bit of insurrection they destroyed them and the Japanese government, the Bible, Christianity was a threat to their government. So the Catholics were kicked out. However, Dutch, who were Protestant, the enemies of Catholic, they were allowed to visit Japan about 200 plus years in Nagasaki. And it's interesting, Nagasaki is considered to be the home of Catholicism. But after the revolt, they were just put down. The, they used to put a cross on the ground and made Japanese step on it to figure out who were Catholic, Catholics and Buddhists. And the ones that refused to step on met with a severe punishment. I think they were crucified literally in Japan. But the, 
because the Dutch were enemies of the Catholic and they didn't cause any sort of problem. They were allowed to visit Japan for the next 200 years in Nagasaki. So there, there's like a theme park in Nagasaki where Japanese people dress as Dutch. So anyway, when they arrived in Japan again in 1873, most Americans horrified because Japanese were, they didn't have a problem with nudity. So, and the Japanese realized what happened in Korean Peninsula in China, where the Western power using their superior military to punish them, Japanese are compliant. So they just made adjustment and comply with the Western values. Whether they agreed 100%, I don't know, but they have to comply so they won't suffer the consequence of that. And from 1873 to 1905, Japan literally re- revolutionized their country. They sent their best and brightest to Europe, learn engineering, law from France, shipmaking in Netherlands and Dutch. So within that time, they revolutionized Japan to the point where they, when they bought Russians in the Russo-Japanese War, they beat them. It's incredible if you think about it from the 73 to 1905, such a backward country to able to defeat them. Anyway, I'm getting off it. The nudity and after World War II, Western forces used censorship. So that include D.H. Lawrence's Lady Lady Shelley's Lovers, something like that. It, it, it was considered as obscene. So they were used to were obscenity to censor people because they were, were communism, so easy to censor sexuality. So when you see tentacle porns because you can't show penis, that's like a loophole. When they do Bukaki film where multiple men ejaculate women's face, it, it's a, to show... There was actually sex by showing ejaculation because you can't show penis and things like that. So when people say Japanese are perverted, but yeah, that's partially true. But you showed up to another country unannounced, uninvited, and imposed your values. So these are the loopholes. So anytime people have a really weird fetish, I try to not to judge them, trying to have empathy for those people. Yeah. When I used to see older white gentleman with an accent looking for older women in uniform. I usually ask them, are you from England? Because most of those men went to boarding school. When they went to school as a young man, they didn't see any girls. So what did they see? Older women in uniform teaching them. So this become their signature. So I think, so you're born with certain kind of taste, but I think your childhood and early childhood experience have a big impact on you. Right. Right. So, yeah, some people are replaced. And right now, I've been helping about two years my friend Kareem Salajapur in D.C. He's writing a book about sexual proclivities of terrorists. And he's an academic. He's a, he, So when you're trying to catch a pervert, you need a pervert. So I'm that guy. <laughs> and I've been traveling to Middle East. So no credential. But I think when you have a credential, it's like you're practicing classical music. You have to follow certain notes. You had a specific training. I'm like jazz. It's improvisational. It's just my purely opinion. It's probably wrong. But I think when you're let your imagination go wild and lose, I might say something that this academic never thought about. And like within meeting Kareem first hour, he said wild a lot. I said stuff that he's never thought about. So I think there's a place for academic people and fervor. I think there's like place for academic and conspiracy people because 
I think some of these conspiracy people are artists. They have this vivid imagination that most experts never really thought about. Even Joe Rogan said, like, he didn't believe Alex Jones about Island with pedophiles. Well, I think a lot of people believe that now. Right. It was a conspiracy at one one point, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. Wow. Great points. And I, I do like the digression into Japanese history. That's a lot of stuff that I've never heard about. I didn't realize the Dutch had that sort of little backdoor alliance with Japan like that. That's so fascinating. And how, as you point out, these fetishes are actually the result of things that were imposed on Japan. It's not like Japan had always been into tentacles and bukkake. Yeah, that's yeah. really fascinating stuff. I think that's why I think when I started working at the porn shop, like Apple store have genius bar, right? <laughs> and porn shop have pervert bar. And that was my job. And I think I went into porn because my friend Tanner Manu, who was the closest and best friend with Brody Stevens, he got me into the adult videos because my family was suffering financially. And he told me how much those shops are making like mid to late 90s. And of course, I went to regular porn shop. I mean, regular video store, and they have those porn section that was renting stuff. But when I started working those shops, I went in for commission. But I think I learned more about compassion for people. I think sometimes you're working those shops. I mean, literally, sometimes people walk in and, and these ladies will say, like, I had sex with my son. And she they would drop this kind of shit to me. Or this guy's stepfathers claiming they had sex with their stepdaughters or whatever. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm not a therapist. I sell butt plugs, for God's sake. They dropped this kind of burden to me. And it was really hard in the beginning because I was just astonished. Every time some customer walk into the store, I think, oh, I bet I figure out what this guy will rent. And of course, big, heavy, fat trucker guys. I'm like, oh, teen movies, 18, 19-year-old girl. Nope. Gay porn. And I was really wrong. I remember one time this lady walked in, beautiful, scarf. And by her looks and skin tone, I thought she must be from Middle East. And she goes straight to the BDSM section. So buying a lot of expensive stuff, which is good because I make commission. But she's getting a bunch of very powerful, very expensive whips. You, you just kind of use tips whip people. So... As she was paying for it, as I'm scanning two to three webs, I said, "Yeah, I hope I'm, this is not, I hope I'm, this is like a violating your privacy." But where are you from? She said, "Oh no, it's not." Ask away. I said, "She said uh, Saudi Arabia," and I asked her, "Like, I hope this is not too personal." But I've been told, compared to the West, Saudi Arabia have a history of treating women not well. In fact, they don't ask them what they want. They don't ask for their opinions, impose their view of how they should behave. And with even small infraction, they get beaten down with whips. And here you are, you're buying these. So I'm really puzzled and confused. And this is like late 90s. So I'm not remembering 100%. But she said, well, compared to the West, they don't treat women very well. They don't ask me what I like, what I want. They don't care how I'm feeling, limit our movements, don't care how I'm feeling. And it's just true. What small thing compared to the West, we get beaten with webs. But, you know, in BDSM, they're constantly asking me, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? Does it feel good? Would you like to change your position? 
it's one of the few things that they really care how I'm feeling. It's one of the things where I could release my stress. I love it. And it gives me a little bit of a sense of personal dignity. And it really fucking shocked me. Just that she was so used to getting beaten down. This is kind of something that she does to herself. But I was wrong. And I think just because somebody's doing something weird, it might be painful. You don't know what they're going through. Maybe it actually makes them happy. I don't watch gay porn, but there's some kid turning 18 every day. And what last thing I do, I need to do is make them feel bad. So I was looking like AVN movie reviews and watch best gay movies. So if they ask for gay porn, I tell them like, this one got great reviews and make them feel good. Whether they're watching transgender or bondage or pissing film or women who like wearing just high heels or something. You don't know why, where these fetishes come from. It doesn't make you a bad person. I think we all have a different coping mechanism. Yeah. And I think fantasy is something that we do to protect ourselves. Why do kids, when they're in an abusive home, have fantasy of having an invisible friend? I think I'm not a therapist, but I've been told that they need that fantasy to protect them. So there's a certain amount of fantasy that we need to protect ourselves. But extreme form of fantasy is dangerous, too. Epstein probably had a fantasy of a teenage girl for various reasons. Terrorists have uh, vivid fantasies why they have to destroy those two twin towers. Ted Bundy had a vivid fantasy to kill young women with a specific look over and over again. Why did, if you look, pictures of Bill Clinton's mother when he, when she was 25 and you look at the picture of Monica Lewinsky at 25, it's almost identical. Wow. There's a reason for this. And I think if we don't provide proper sex education, kids are going to porn halfway. And I think we're doing disservice to these kids. And I think I met many transgender people and I think they will be astonished what's going on in the world right now. I think some people probably are transgender, but the number of a sheer number of people claiming to be transgender, I think this is something not normal. Right. Something weird is going on. And I think a lot of historians and public intellectuals like Douglas Murray and Camille Paglia said that when there is so much confusion of gender and sexuals, you know, I think this is the beginning of the end for civilization, so they say. Huh. So we live in a very interesting time where these parents are helping their kids have this just terrible surgery yeah, young age, and they're never going to admit they're wrong because how could you explain to your kid that they mutilate them? Right. So they're never going to admit that they're wrong. So well, and it we does live seem, in such a crazy, scary times. Yeah, it does seem like the pedal is being pushed by these corporations who want to create a bill for every little thing in your life. They want to attach a subscription service to your body. Oh, you don't look the way you want to look? Well, here, come to us five every five years and we'll give you a facelift a butt lift a boob lift i think that's i mean to use the word transhumanism not to equate that with transgender people uh, yeah. i do think that there is a sort of transhumanistic aspect to that whole conversation when you're augmenting your body with chemicals, sure. with surgeries, with really, I mean, even body modifications. It, it does feel like we're sort of, I don't know, 
maybe this is a conservatist point of view, but uh, yeah. we're, it does feel like we're not appreciating what we're given as sure. our birthright, our natural human bodies. It's very strange because social media is always dividing people and telling you what social media is doing is like teaching young kids to hate themselves. Right. And if you hate yourself, you're constantly trying to do something either behavior wise or you're literally trying to change yourself or identify something. Right. Because if they're telling you you're not good enough, you're, you're, you should hate yourself and you should hate your country. You're always doing weird shit, whether you're being transgender, you identify something else or you need to destroy the system whatnot but this is coming from i mean i don't think this is conspiracy it just seemed like this is, seems sounds like a pretty much dictated down from the elite yeah and when i so like when COVID started i was living with my friend stan chin and his wonderful wife karen in northern phoenix but i think three and a half four month mark i decided to leave so i for that year and a half two years i literally traveled i mean during COVID, traveling was so cheap and, and even housing was so cheap. So I literally went to almost just about every rioted cities. I went to most of the prominent African-Americans got killed, whether it's Michael Brown or George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and things like that. Right. And I, I went to all these places and see what really happened. And I think, I mean, some, plenty of people have said, all these things have to have for reason, I think. And I think it's the biggest transfer of wealth. I mean, everybody, it doesn't take a conspiracy to know that. It went from Afghanistan to Ukraine, transfer of wealth. And I think I'm more inclined to think people who were resistant to vaccination, people who are more in conspiracy. I think years from now, I think that, that group will be looking more positive and looking good because the mainstream is calling those people insane QAnon and racist and shit like that. That's the, that's that that they're trying to silence you. Right. Even with this movie I saw, Sons of Freedom, the same people saying these are QAnon, like Rolling Stone was calling them QAnon, but the guy who was a federal agent saving those kids, I don't know, 2017, 2018, Rolling Stone magazine called that guy a hero, if I remember right. Oh, now he's a QAnon now? <laughs> he's an, even he is QAnon. Believe it or not, sometimes QAnons are right. Yeah. Sometimes liberal people could be wrong. I have news for these people. Sometimes things that some of the things that Nazis believe were right. I mean, Nazis believe in highways. <laughs> right. They believe in highway because they could transport those weapons. I think a lot of people like highways. Yeah. And believe it or not, some racist people happen to be right too. I'm sorry, but, you know, just because you don't like them, you could be wrong. I could be right. I could be wrong. You could be right. Right. Truth is truth. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because something came up recently on a podcast I was listening to, and they mentioned xenophobia, right? It's Chinese phobia. Yeah. And it's funny when you look at the list, China, I guess, did a poll of like the most agreeable, the people who loved China the most and the people yeah. who hated China the most. And the countries that disliked China the most were the ones that are closest to it, Japan and Korea and maybe a couple other Asian countries. But, you know, all the ones that were friends with China, maybe Russia, obviously, for certain yeah. reasons. But I, as a Korean-Japanese person yourself, I, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it, it, it's very similar to 2010, 2011. There was a Arab Ups rebellions. Remember, like, uh, there was all this kind of, like, I don't know which 
North African country, but there was a gentleman who was a vendor and he was mistreated. So he burned himself at a protest. So there was this upspring, right, uprising in Northern Africa, Islamic countries, and it was almost spreading across to Turkey and Central Asia and places like that. Look, look at from Vladimir Putin's position, right? He's looking from Moscow, looking down to Northern Africa and Middle East. To him, he doesn't want this virus spreading across to his country, right? He, his country has many of those Central Asian countries that formerly satellite countries with Islamic. They don't want he, to, from him, he doesn't want this uprising spreading across to him. Now, if you look at from China, right? From China's point of view, Chinese play a, play a game called Go. Every country have a different kind of national sport. We play chess, right? In chess, we're trying to corner the king. Checkmate literally mean king instead. Go is a game where you're trying to use all your black and white pieces. If you're black, white pieces are trying to surround you to corner you, right? Well, from Chinese point of view, they see all these little Asian countries that is hostile to them. They feel like, even though they're big, it's almost like a bear being surrounded by a pack of wolves. Now, if you're a bear, you have a different opinion of what you think of wolves. And if you're wolves, you have a different point of view of what you think about the bears. Right. And I think I met Dr. Henry Kissinger and I like his way of thinking. You have to talk to people you don't agree with. And we're not doing this country. Oh, you're BOM, I'm not going to talk to you. Oh, you're MAGA, I'm not going to talk with you. Remind me in a few minutes, I met many of the groups, there's a, they actually have more in common, but going back to China, Chinese are familiar with the West, so they are very hostile to what Westerners have done, and they're very suspicious Western interests in Asia. I don't blame them. I'm not Chinese, but I understand where they're coming from. They're familiar with the West. So they revitalize their country to defend themselves and to be powerful, not to be humiliated again. So as a, if I was a Chinese living in China, knowing the history they have, absolutely, I will have a very strong feeling about that. Why do Russians want strong leader? I don't even have to mention things like time of trouble and all the invasion by the Golden Horror and Genghis Khan and Napoleon to Charles XII from Sweden. Their second target invaded. So they have a very hostile and they support a strong leader. Even like Terry Gross from NPR, Fresh Air, she couldn't believe like 70% of Russian support Putin. But if I was Russian, it makes perfectly sense why they feel like that. Why do some Americans feel hostile to the federal government? I, I went to Ruby Ridge once. My, one of my friends is friend with Sarah Weaver, who is the daughter to Randy Weaver, where Mr. Weaver passed away last year. Extinction of abuse of federal government. I went to Waco three times. I don't have to get in detail. You and Sam know this far more than I do, that there was a bit of an overreach, wasn't there? Right. Which led to Oklahoma City. And I'm friend with a guy named Mikey Sliman, who is a comedian, excellent podcast in Vegas. He's friend with Joshua Nichols, who is son of Terry Nichols. I met him a couple months ago. And it's a different point of view when you talk to Joshua Nichols. And Mikey Sliman has talked to Terry Nichols multiple times. And they had a really interesting conversations. All those three things, because at the end of the millennium, all these weird things were having in the 90s, including porn, led to Columbine. And I was I went to Columbine twentieth anniversary. 
of Columbine, and I, and I went to the meeting where at this very famous, I, I forgot that there's a big media building was registered as an architecture important building in Colorado, Denver, Colorado. And there was a talk a couple of days before the 20th anniversary that the police chief at the time, the DJ at the time, the head police chief, radio and the media personality and teachers, they were talking and afterwards, they had a Q&A, and there's a couple who started talking to the police chief and start calling the police chief at the time, motherfucker. And this is the parents of this brown kid who is considered to be the third Columbine shooter, right? He was simply told by Eric Klebo to go home because Eric liked him at the time, and he went back home. So because he went home, everybody thought he had something to do with it. He didn't, but people started ugling rumors, so he faced consequence for a lot. To this day, he's still getting harassment, supposedly, about being the third shooter. So when I actively go those places, I feel like not only do you have to read history, but you literally have to put your feet on the ground and walk the land when these terrible things happen. I went to Ted Kaczynski's home. I went to Ted Kaczynski's library that he used to research. And I've been to all those places. And like, it's a visceral reaction when you go to those places that these things actually happen. And... Sorry, I always get out of topic, but going back to China, two things. I've been kind of joking, but I could usually find out what kind of person you are based on the kind of porn you watch. The kind of porn you watch gives me credit history of the person you are. And I've been jokingly saying the most dangerous people on the planet are Chinese and Chinese American because overwhelming time when they're renting porn, it was the same kind of porn over and over, like 85, 90% of the time, which was they watched porn where they're always fucking their bosses or fucking at work, or better yet, they're fucking their bosses at work. And why makes that, why does it make them dangerous? Because even during fantasy, they're thinking about fucking work. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like Mexicans work hard, but when they get porn, they're thinking about doing scenes with like a two or three beautiful multiple weapon women. But it's really interesting the fact that they get this fantasy where they're fucking the bosses or fucking at work. Right. That's really interesting that they really are hard workers. Barry Goldwater, one of my favorite politicians, late 90s, say the Chinese are going to over take over the world because the sheer fact that they work so hard. You might not have the talent. You might not have the smartest people, even though when you have over a billion people, you probably have a lot of geniuses. But there's something to say about working really hard. And the reason why in the United States there were so many draconian work, this is one of the few times when white and black and other minorities agreed, they were afraid that Chinese going to take all the work. So Chinese exclusion act, I don't know what year it was, like late 1800s, they were afraid that they're going to take their jobs away. So they passed this measure. Yesterday, we I drove by, we were having dinner at Tacoma, Washington. One of the reasons why Tacoma traditionally haven't had Ch- Chinatown is because all many of the white folks kind of showed up one day in late 1800s, pulled a gun and said, you have 24 hours to leave. Chinese left and went to Seattle. And... I think there is a fear of Chinese people taking over. Just like in early 1990s, they had a fear of Japanese taking over. In fact, I think this month or next month is the 30th anniversary of the movie Rising Sun by, by Michael Crichton, where Wesley Snipe and Sean Connery was magnificent in that movie. But these fear stem from that. And I am a big fan of H.P. Lovecraft. 
Alan Moore talk about conspiracy, and he's a student at H.P. Lovecraft, and went to his home in Providence, Rhode Island. Stephen King, one of the greatest horror writer, said H.P. Lovecraft was the greatest horror writer. And when H.P. Lovecraft talked about fear, he talked about many different kinds of fears. But he said the greatest, the most terrifying fear is fear of unknown so something different from you always terrify you, whether they're sexual fetishes, they terrify you. And why did he say that? I had a really weird interpretation when they say that H.P. Lovecraft was like a terrible, horrendous racist. He had a cat, black cat, and he used N-word for that cat's name, right? And when he moved from Providence, Rhode Island, he saw a wasp. He married this Jewish lady for some reason, even though he's a racist. So at one point he was living in New York City, and he was petrified by the Chinese living in a Chinatown. You're talking about 1800s or no, early 1900s. New York City was a better mess. Hygienic speaking, it's not part with New York City right now. But when he went to Chinatown, not only did he see alien people who spoke alien language, alien way of doing things, eating alien food that was terrifying him, and I think he had disdain for minorities, but he was terrified of Chinese because he said Chinese are intelligent and they're so intelligent that, and I think he equate with ability to make money as having a high IQ. So I think he was disdainful of Jewish people and Chinese. And when he went to Chinatown, so Chinese people and saw the Chinese food where you, he saw a lot of weird Chinese food, like raw fish and tentacle food items no wonder that when you watch hp lovecraft's cthulhu mythology all this galaxy god-like monster slimy tentacles that comes from his exposure to the chinese and anybody who plays space Invader, the video game it was created by japanese those space aliens are basically based on sea monsters like octopus and tentacles yeah so if you do a little bit of a deep dive these things come to you. And now, I think Americans have fear of Chinese because of that. This is not nothing. It's not something new. This, this, this was a Chinese exclu- ex- exclusion act because they were afraid of jobs get stolen away. But the- well, on that note, have you? I'm sorry to cut you off, but have you heard the theory that certain groups of Chinese people were in America prior to Columbus and had settled parts of even Canada and the West Coast and maybe were living there when the European settlers came west and just sort yeah. of assimilated? That makes sense because I mean there was a literally Euro geological connections, geographical connection, right? Alaska and Northern Russia was connected to each other. And I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Native Americans looks Asian or Asians look like Indians. That kind of makes sense. I mean, there's definitely Asian people here. I think there's a, I don't think there is a DNA major difference between Asians and Native Americans. I'm sure it's a bit, I'm I'm kind of rough guessing, but they look alike. There's a connection well, more specifically Chinese speaking yeah. people would be the more because, th- yeah, that's accepted is that the Native Americans have an Asiatic sort of genealogy. But there's even some and also sorry to cut up. Go ahead. Um, if you go northern Japan in Hokkaido, mm-hmm. there's an Aborigines called Ainu mm. and they have a really weird paganistic rituals that like they eat bears and things like that. And they look more half Asian, Caucasian looking. Mm. So 
they have to come from someplace. And when I look at them, interesting, they, they, I think I, I might be wrong, but either them or even like Okinawan, they have a tradition of smoking something that looked like marijuana, wow. like a ritualistic smoking. And I know that that is a kind of common ritualistic community that Native Americans are doing. So I don't have a source, but I'm sure many of your smart listeners probably they have a degree in anthropology or archaeology or genetic could see some truth in that. But yeah, I'm not really surprised by <laughs> Asians who have to be descended from the Chinese that happen to live in the North America. I, I wouldn't yeah. surprise. But in, in as far as like power dynamic, I think there's a three things that three or four items that worries me possible. Chinese invasion of Taiwan. I don't know how much this is a possibility. I think they're watching what's going on in Ukraine. It's not easy thing to invade another country because once war starts, it's unpredictable. No one isn't really in control anymore. So that's a possibility. AI, obviously, and also low birth rate, which is like a huge problem all over the world, particularly places like China. But I have to say, I'm very worried about, I love America. It's my country. I'm a U.S. citizen now, but I think we have some government agencies aligned with the corporate interest, not in the interest of the United States. I don't think there's conspiracy. It's been done to death over and over again. And I think there are certain group of people who benefit from certain virus reaching over the world. Some pharmaceuticals benefit from that. Somebody always benefit from war. Some of my friends got mad because I've been saying, like, I don't think Trump is a racist. I think Trump is narcissistic, but he's not a warmonger. I think there's a good chunk of Republican Democratic Party members are fucking warmongers. They want war. They want this war in Ukraine. Never mind that some militia group in Ukraine are literally fucking neo-Nazis. We don't care. We want this fucking war. It has nothing to do with peace in the world. I don't think this is a conspiracy at all. No, yeah. We live under new religion called neoliberalism. We have to have conflict. There is money in conflict. And poor people on BOM and mega people pay. And I want to say one, this last thing, uh, and ask away with question, but when I went to mega rallies, I I laugh. If I have to say their number one finish among mega guys, they're mostly white guys, obviously, big tits. <laughs> Where do most white people come from? Europe, particularly like Northern Europe. What's the primary diet of Northern Europe? Dairy. Where does dairy come from? Big tits. Right. Most of the BOM guys are blacks and Latinos, some Asians, but most of those Southern people from Southern regions. No wonder ask men. But when you talk to these two groups, what makes me sad? They actually have more in common than differences, man. Like, what do they are concerned mostly? The future for their kids, their livelihood, the decency and their religion and things like that. These are actually not a bad people. VOM guys, they're saying asses. MAGA guys and tits. Sometimes all I'm hearing is like tits and ass and guys. It's okay to like touch and asses. You have more comment than difference. If they stay calm and be respectful, you can have find more commonality, but it's very hard because people who, love, who lives in Silicon Valley love dividing people. Politicians love to divide people, you know? 
And who like to divide these group people? Elite people. You notice what kind of fetish the elite people are into? They're definitely not really, they're not really into big tits and big asses. Whenever I went to where all the elites, the super rich people live, I kind of learned this, whether they congregate. From a young age, I did it by reading Vanity Fair. When they have a very interesting articles, they have to provide those articles with the ads to pay for them. And they sell luxury items. If you look at those luxury items like Versace, on the bottom of it, they'll show you the main elite malls, Bell Harbor in, in, in Miami, Beverly Hills, South Coast Plaza, Park Avenue. These are where all the really rich people congregate. And if you've been to those places, like I have for years, predominantly the look that these rich people like are women who are relatively tall with no tits and no asses. That's really interesting. And if you look at Jeffrey Epstein, he was interested young girls. They have no tits and asses too. Over and over again, I noticed like rich people tend to have, you never see super rich people with like really fat women at all or super big tits out of proportions. There's something mathematical about these people. No wonder Jeffrey Epstein was good with math. No wonder Ted Kaczynski was good with math. Men, and mostly men who are running the financial world, hedge fund and things like that, they have a keen view about mathematics and order. You use you could use math to bring order to the world. And that's why whenever these financial people take a huge gamble, the government will spell them out. So they like playing with numbers, literally. Every time you pass certain regulation to cover financial things, you have someone like Bill Clinton who received money from rich people overturning, what is it, Glass-Steagall Act or whatever that protected us after disaster of depression like 1928 or whatnot. These guys who are good with numbers and making money are always producing new financial products. They're going to be ahead. Money ultimately runs a lot of things in the world. I know this is not an original idea, but you know, when I went to World Economic Forum in January, first time, I wasn't invited. I don't have any passes, but every time I see a congregation, Asian representative from Japan, China, Korea, I just walk behind them walking into those fancy hotels. And as I'm walking around World Economic Forum, I could tell right away something really interesting, which is these people use these keywords every year, like sustainability. It's like a new idea for that year. Telling people that you don't have to own anything. Isn't it nice when people that own everything with money telling poor people, middle class, you don't have to own anything. It's just like when beautiful people say you don't have to be beautiful. If you really want to know how these people are going to act, the billionaires, the academic and policymaker during World Economic Forum, don't listen to what they're saying. Talk to all the six workers who are servicing that way. Then you have a pretty good idea what the fuck is going to go on. Imagine a guy from Goldman Sachs that didn't get good bonus. I'm sure he's pretty fucking pissed off. And when they go to World Economic Forum, I'm sure they're going to take it out on those sex workers. So when I was walking around in Davos in January or going to those fancy hotels, I knew right away, like, these are high-end escorts. Don't tell me you're a niece of CEOs or you're an executive assistant. Give me a fucking break. I'm not a fucking amateur. I know when I see a sex worker. So if you could talk to them, 
you could learn about how the behaviors of the rich. I'm one of the few people that saw Ghislaine Maxwell's sentencing inverted. I was there for Elizabeth Holmes sentencing. I went to several court cases for Harvey Weinstein, Danny Masterson. And I think it's particularly interesting when you see someone like Elizabeth Holmes and Ghislaine Maxwell, because it is these super powerful men's decision and how they see the world and how they behave have the biggest impact on the world. I hate to say to the poor people at BOM mega rallies, all those rioting is not going to do a whole lot if you don't realize these super rich people what they do to the rest of the world. Right. And I think even Dr. Kessinger says multiple times, like he was terrified of Elizabeth Holmes. Imagine that. Here's a man who is 100 years now, talked to one of the most powerful men in China, dealt with the, the, the powerful entities like Stalin, for God's sake, Khrushchev in Russia, all the dictators in Middle East and Africa, were intimidated at board meeting by Elizabeth Holm, a young blonde woman who I feel really weird sexual energy when she walked by me. She literally walked by. If anybody's interested, they check my Instagram. You, you could see a video of me standing when I saw Elizabeth Holm walk on. I felt like Jedi Master felt this force in her. Just like when I saw Ghislaine Maxwell that two times, these women knew something about these powerful men. When you grab a venomous snake, I've been doing examples, only way you're going to antidote is if you take their poison away, biologically re-engineer makes a solution, right? If you really want to know how these men think and behave, we need to talk to people like Elizabeth Holmes and Ghislaine Maxwell. It may make us feel good to put them in prison, but I think they're very valuable assets, I think. Yeah. Like these women knew these these powerful men think. There's only one of few people that Elizabeth Holm can fool, Warren Buffett, because I think he is very faithful and love his wife. So uh, being in front of a young, attractive woman, uh, they're not seduced by it. They used to say that whenever you need to give bad news to Henry Kissinger, they asked Diane Sawyer before she became a media star. She used to work for Henry Kissinger. So you let this pretty blonde chick to give him this bad news, right? Who knew? Maybe you, if you want to have a tough negotiation with these dictators, maybe bring a woman that they're into. Yeah. yeah. There's some, there's something to say. I think I'm not a smart guy, but I think I'm onto something when it comes to early childhood and things that give men comfort. Yeah. And if you know their weakness, and I think Epstein knew weakness of men, money-wise, which is greed, sexually, why did Lex Wexner, who owns L Brand with Victoria's Secret, use this guy? I don't think he necessarily had history of making money for rich people, but I bet you he knew something shameful about Lex Wexner. Mm-hmm. And he knew something about money, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe he had his spidey, spiderness. Auto- he had this almost like a center of a web. And Lex Wexner's of the world were cutting that web, and he knew exactly how to control those guys. Yeah, Sex and money, man, this is a very uncomfortable subject matters. Absolutely. And people who understand those things, I think if you don't control the world, you control the people who control the world. Right, right. Yeah, you, you spoke a little too soon when you said, well, let me rephrase that. 
I don't think you need to say that you're not a smart guy at all because you've been laying out some brilliant thoughts here. And yeah, I'm more wow. curious than anything. Well, you know? you, but you've led a really interesting and unique life, Yoshi. And I think not many people would venture to put themselves in all yeah. those places. And you're right. I like the analogy of the snake venom because you need to sort of expose yourself to these evils in order to truly understand their antidote. Yeah, and we've been just killing the snakes, but we, <laughs> but I, I guess that's one way to handle it. But I, I think if your family's bitten by a snake, killing the snake doesn't help them, does it? No. You need a medicine to deal with that problem. So I've been criticized by some women sometimes, like, why do you have sympathy for these people? And it's not to have a sympathy. If you show sympathy to them, maybe they will talk and tell you something that we don't know. And I had a friend got mad at me or kind of teased me because I show sympathy for Mary Kay Latuno. She was a very famous person, especially for anyone who lived in Washington, late 90s. She had an affair with a 13-year-old boy when she was a teacher, right? And I was deeply fascinated because it's kind of common thing where you see older men having sexual encounter with the young teenage girls over and over again. But quite often, last 10, 15, 20 years, we've been seeing very attractive women having sexual encounter with young boys. And I think a lot of guys like jokingly say like, why the fuck are you complaining about that? But put that stuff aside. She was one of the first person got caught doing that. And I have sympathy for her because Mary Kay Letourneau's two brothers were conservative Republicans, were assistant to President Trump's foreign policy, if I remember right. But interesting yet, America Latuna's father was a big time conservative guy who was very upset when Richard Nixon went to China, uh, making uh, openness with Chinese government. And he was, I think he was a member of John Birch Society, which is an ultra conservative, ultra nationalistic group. John Birch was an uh, anti communist who was killed by Chinese communist member. It's a big conservative group. So he ran against, I think, Ronald Reagan, I think, in 1980. He literally got a million votes. This is America Latino's father. I think he was very abu abusive and treated his daughter really poorly. And I think she had a different kind of coping mechanism. So I'm not condoning why she did it. But I think when you're abused and grew up in loveless childhood situation, you ended up doing these things. Yeah. Ghislaine Maxwell grew up in with Robert Maxwell, who was probably a... a Definitely worked in intelligence, had a conviction to many different intelligence, was a media mogul. And I think one of the advantages of being a media mogul is having access to intelligence. And people are inclined to talk to you because they want to exchange ideas, information. Some people still think Robert Maxwell was assassinated, just like Jeffrey Epstein. They had too much information. I think there was a, I don't think it's a surprise that to some intelligence agencies, someone like Epstein would be very valuable. Mm. It's easy to get information from you when you sexual blackmail, obviously. Russians are very good at it. So uh, I think Ghislaine and Elizabeth Holmes, they understand powerful men because they probably could read men very well. They know the weakness. So I don't even know what you call what I do, if there's a discipline, but I enjoy doing them. I got fired from my work. 2012, I made a decision, like, I don't want to get another porn job. 
I don't want to get stuck because if I get a new job, they will not give me, continue to give me a job to travel the world and kind of explore these places. And I have not paid rent since February 2012. Couchsurfing generously by others. My friend Randy let me live with him for four years for free. So every time I do medical testing or make money from stand-up, generosity of the people like David too, and especially, God bless, Russell Peters gave me money and Russell will pay for my flights. I went to all these places that had traumatic things and just kind of talked to locals. I did a show with this kid from James by El Paso. I did a show for him. When I went to El Paso, I looked at the Richard Ramirez, Night Stalkers. So I went to the neighbor that he grew up the cemetery he was hanging out it was really weird during show in El Paso because I will mention him after the show I will meet someone like oh my mom dated that guy or my uncle was friend with him so like sometimes when you go to those places you really get literally a little bit piece of history yeah so that's why I travel and it's getting more and more difficult because it's I'm running out of money all the time but I want to continue to travel those places and I think Sam was kind of astonished when I told him I saw Ghislaine and Ghislaine's family. I got a free pizza from Ghislaine's sister. I think her name's Christine Maxwell. I went to Urinal with her brother, Ian e. Maxwell. And what a fascinating family. Their connection for making cybersecurity for Israeli government. One of the brothers have a podcast, an institute about covering jihadists, interesting enough. Wow. So I don't judge them. I just want to talk. Even if I meet people that commit crimes, I still want to talk to them because just because you're talking to them doesn't mean you condone their behavior because they might something that you never thought about. With that information, maybe you can make the world a better place. Yeah, so bless you and and Sam. People might call you a fucking conspiracy nuts, but I'm sorry, even you guys and I am crazy. Believe it or not, sometimes crazy people are right, though. I love it. I love it. And that's a great way to wrap up, Yoshi. Yoshi, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Yeah. I know you said you wanted to end around seven this year. Yeah, my friends are kind of weird. But can I tell you something? The the way you look with the light in the back, you look like Jesus with the halo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Don't don't give me a big head now. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I love talking about this stuff. And maybe we could do another one. Yeah, um, I'd love that. I'm going to uh, Steve Bannon's court case. I'm going to, I forgot his name, the guy who stabbed Salman Rushdie. I went to his mother's home in New Jersey. And there's a bunch of different interesting court cases. I'm definitely going to visit the Link, Long Island, Lisk, I'm sorry, Long Island serial killer's home yeah. in September. I would like to visit that Idaho for, hopefully I could meet through one of my friend's friends, Sarah Weaver for Ruby Ridge, but also that, I forgot the guys, that serial killer that murdered all those people in Idaho earlier this year. Yeah. And, well, uh, I, but, hey, but if, you other ever, places, yeah. if you ever come out to New Haven for whatever reason, there was that guy who killed a woman and shoved her in a wall in Yale University. I don't know if you've visited for that reason, but if you ever have a reason to come to New Haven, please get in touch with me. I'd love to give you a tour of of the sort of secret esoteric aspects of New Haven that I've been researching. I, I will I will love that because there's a lot of rich people live there, and Greenwich oh, yeah. is very famous not only because Michael Skako, but that's Greenwich have a lot of hedge funds because that's the first stop entering Connecticut. So a lot of rich people start their financial company there. So when you have a rich people there, they definitely have a different. MO from poor people. Oh, so, you got to uh, come uh, out uh, here. I could show you some wild neighborhoods, some very we- wealthy estates are around here for sure. 
Yeah, I'm going to Davos again in January, and I'm going to Geneva, where wow. Cloud Schwab is from there. And I forgot the name of the suburb within the Geneva, but it made me laugh. The area that Klaus live, where this is the man who studied work and conform, I laugh because I recognize that area. It made me laugh because that exclusive area in Geneva, about, I don't know, 170, 80 years ago, Lord Byron, a po- famous poet and a patriot who was leading that the independence for Greece was vacationing there. It was a terrible winter. They got stuck. He was hanging out with Mary Shelley, who famously wrote Frankenstein. There was another author who wrote a book about vampires. So there was a three or four days, these, one of the most important literary writers, there's a bunch of other ones who were stuck there. So every night, everybody was telling these stories where they were telling scary stories, if I remember right. So it's an interesting vampire and Frankenstein to... Bram Stoker, is it? I don't know if it, I don't know if it was Bram Stoker, but some other writer wrote the book for a vampire. Bram Stoker was interesting enough as a theater manager, and he had a connection with Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde was a uh, gay man, so yeah. there is a lot of sexual stuff in uh, Dracula. When I went, when I was talking about how when some women want to have rape fantasy, well, vampire, this aggressive almost like a rapey force. So there's a lot of sexual stuff in those fantasy. But the reason I was talking about Klaus in that place in Geneva is that exclusive area in Geneva created three monsters, Klaus, Frankenstein, and Vampire. <laughs> I really liked it making this really weird, nonsensical connection, but it's kind of fun because you start looking the world differently. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's really fun to do that. So I'm not expertise in anything, but I like reading a wide variety of things and be general specialist but when i love when i talk to expert like yourself and sam because they'll say something like oh that's really interesting because i thought about this sexual thing and now you told me a conspiracy i could make a connection of the two absolutely and when people mean crazy or whatever it doesn't bother me at all because i think if you do this long enough we might be right sometimes right and that's what we want we just want to be right once or twice you only have to be right once with lottery ticket you know what i'm saying <laughs> well said Absolutely. So, Yoshi Obayashi, where can people go to see your dates? Obviously, you're going to be at the Fringe Festival. Do you have a website people can go to to follow up with you and maybe come see a show? Yeah, I'm going to be in Fringe Fest August 4th through 26th minus June 9th. But I have a website, adultcontent69.com. Okay. I have like 16 to 20 stories that put it in there. They're based on my years in adult business. And I, I know everybody does it, but... I get 85, 90% of my source to travel the world through medical testing. And it is very exhausting when you use yourself, human guinea pig, in 10 to 15% from stand-up. So if they could go on my website and make a little bit of donation, that helps me a lot because oh, I yeah. use all this money traveling. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm telling you, I travel so much. All, I would say 75, 80% of my lifetime earnings have gone to traveling. Yeah. Because my dad can travel. It's my way of vindicating my dad. He wasn't able to travel. So I only go to weird places and visit weird places. I love it. Yeah. Well, I want to have you back on in the future to to get more updates. I want to hear more about some of your traveling. Yeah. At Yoshi Obayashi at Instagram and Yoshi at gmail.com and send me away. But yeah, every time I go to Newtown, exciting because I always check serial killers. 
sexual assault incidents, any Vanity Fair article about the rich. Right. And if I have all three, they're usually a town rich with an interesting source. Yeah. And that's that. But thanks for having me on. Of course. Thank you, brother. I appreciate and it. I'll, see, nice I'll definitely see you in Connecticut. I'll be there. I have to go there. So Yeah. Well, hey, if you like studying the rich, Yale's full of it. Yale's got, yes, for sure. got a lot of interesting things going on. But until next time, folks, please support Yoshi so he can continue doing these amazing travels. Go see him live. He's going to be at the Fringe Fest. And yeah, until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. And that is our conversation with Yoshi Obayashi. Go and see him at the Fringe Fest. He's going to be doing the adult content show. Uh, He's a hysterical comedian. He's friends with great comedians that you know and love, like Tom Segura, Christina Pajitsky, Robert Kelly, even our friend Sam Tripoli. Uh, Yoshi was just on Tinfoil Hat, as a matter of fact. Um, and yeah, Yoshi's a really interesting guy. Hopefully, I meet him when he comes to New Haven. He said he was interested in coming to New Haven. Maybe I'll give him a tour. Maybe we'll do a little bit of, uh, of you know, a, a video or something on the esoteric tour. Who knows? Who knows if Yoshi will even be into something like secret societies we were a little all over the place today and like i said in the intro uh this is an unconventional episode but this is the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast and yoshi is certainly a guy who fits the bill so yeah i don't know i think this episode may be a favorite for some it may be one that others skip over just because uh, it's not a juicy title um, or maybe not a title that you're used to seeing. But anyways, enough about that. I think Yoshi's a great guest and I'd love to have him back on again in the future. So reach out and let me know what you think. Speaking of future episodes, I'm going to be having Greg Carlwood on the show. And if you'd like to ask Greg a question um, about his show the higher side chats how he does what he does uh what his move was like uh what he what he's doing down there in florida whatever you know favorite guest favorite topic whatever whatever questions you have for greg send them to me uh on telegram or patreon or Substack. Uh, those are the best ways to do it instagram dm if you'd like that would be cool Uh, i want to get some Ideas, maybe some outside-of-the-box ideas for questions for Greg. I already have a bunch planned, but yes, I figured I'd include all of you in that one. So, anyways, a lot of interesting episodes on the way, so stay tuned and sign up on the Patreon, the Rockfin, or Substack to get access to bonus Supporter-only episodes. I'm going to be uploading a few supporters-only episodes in the next few weeks. I just conducted one interview today that may be supporters-only. I'm not sure yet, 
but we're going to start putting out more exclusive content to drum up some support and help us reach that 250 patron goal. Once we get up to 250 patrons, uh, we will be able to do in-person interviews. There's also a goal on the Ko-Fi page to help raise money for the equipment. So uh, if you can imagine, visualize me out in amazing places talking to amazing people and you want to hear that podcast and see it come to life, please consider supporting us on Patreon for $5 a month, Substack for 8 or if you sign up on Patreon for 8 I'll give you free access to our Substack. And if I don't do that right away, just remind me when you sign up and I will do that as soon as you remind me because it's very simple. All I need to do is have your email. So anyways, thank you so much, folks, for tuning in to this episode. I want to give a big shout out to our sponsors. Shout out to Austin at OlympicSeeds.com. That's the email you need if you want superior seeds to grow the number one weed and you wouldn't even call it a weed at that point because this is sure to be your prize crop right your heady beautiful blooming nugs these flowers the cannabis plant is a beautiful plant and austin at olympicseeds.com is your connoisseur to help you grow the strain that's sure to spark you up. It's going to get you high, going to get you a nice supply, make you feel exactly how you want to feel because he's got a variety of strains and he's grown in the best places. Now he comes straight to you from the volcanic soils of Hawaii so you know that the seeds you're getting are going to be jam-packed with nutrition and ready to go. So hit Austin up at austin at olympicseeds.com. Just send him an email and get your order started. Let him know that you heard about him on the My Family Think Some Crazy podcast. And of course, once you have your bud that's all grown and cured and dried and ready to go, you got to put it somewhere to keep it safe. And the number one way to do that whether you're rolling up joints, blunts, spliffs, whatever it is, is the hit kit. You get a hit kit, keeps it safe and sound right there next to your lighter, slides open. You can get a cool design of your choice. You can even get a QR code that links people to your business, links people to your website, links people to your art. If you're an artist, get your design on the hit kit. I know We've got plenty of creative people here listening to this podcast, and I'm sure we've got a bunch of stoners listening. So use that promo code CRAZY at checkout to save 15% off and support yourself by never reaching into your pocket to find a crumpled up joint or blunt or a salad of weed ever again. That's right. Get yourself a hit kit today. All right. We are... Finito, shout out to Mr. Traumatic, the newest rapper in the series of amazing artists who've contributed to this podcast. Uh, synchronistically, he created an album called My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. And since I beat him to it, <laughs> we arranged an agreement where uh, he allows me to use his music in this podcast. 
So, yeah. You're going to hear some more Mr. Traumatic for uh, who knows how many more episodes until it gets old. Uh, maybe we'll bring them around. Uh, I'm still going to use the uh, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy traditional intro, but you will hear Mr. Traumatic in the outro from time to time. So, in honor of that, let's see what song are we going to roll out from the latest album for this episode. I think we'll go with, let's see, since we talked about, hmm, yeah, I think we should go with Parasitic Archons. That would be a good one for this episode. Cool. Enjoy that song from Mr. Traumatic off his new album, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Go to the link in the description to download that album today. Peace. Unfortunately, a virus has infiltrated the simulation. The energy extraction matrix is the parasitic system set up by this virus within this holographic reality. There are two main parasites on this plane. Mind parasites, also known as archons or demons, and reptilian humanoids. Voices, screaming, weird funny feeling. What the fuck is that floating on the ceiling? No one is believing, everyone is dreaming. Listen close, cause it's knowledge I'm revealing. Voices, screaming, weird funny feeling. What the fuck is that floating on the ceiling? No one is believing, everyone is dreaming. This energy extraction matrix is a mind game. You dirty little parasitic centipede. I'll punch you in your head to make your temple bleed. It's evil in your cells like penitentiaries It's nothing new to me cause I've been doing it for centuries You can fuck off but thank you for the sentiment The nanotech is active and the black goo is sentient I'm on fire, hands down my flow is excellent Making music is a breeze, I'm in my elements I'm fully alkaline, I'm eating many herbs Cause the world is in a mess, I can't get any words I'm not religious, I'm not praying to the demiurge I read all the Gnostic scriptures, every verse The alpha draconians, the crazy ones and parasites Aesthetic archons of big narrated aliens I'm protected, I don't need the massive laser gun I'll punch them with my motorbike ring And crack the craniums What the fuck is that floating on the ceiling? There's something on the ceiling It's moving like a jellyfish I got a feeling It's definitely devilish Fuck a therapist I got no time to reminisce I got no time to exercise I need to find an exorcist It's on the ceiling But don't worry man's immortal I seen it, it's a demon And it's very paranormal Evil is the reason Why it's smelling rather awful I'm feeling like I'm breathing through a snorkel So if any evil entities are feeding off my energies I'm showing no remorse, I make them suffer for eternity I trap them in a quantum holographic time loop Surrounded with a force field that's made by red mercury Cause the Archon overlords, they wanna murder me I give them brain surgery while sipping on the herbal tea Fuck the Freemasons, I lock them in the basement of cunts And give them 33 degree burns internally The parasites of this matrix know that their time is almost up and they are desperately doing everything that they can to keep human consciousness in a low-frequency state. The apocalypse is now, but we've been taught to fear it. Apocalypse simply means an uncovering in ancient Greek, a disclosure of knowledge or revelation. The energy extraction matrix will implode on itself when enough of us recognize our sovereign abilities as divine creators.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 